Hey, it's November. I'm Debbie Cook, and I'm back with the November edition of the D&B Supply Lawn and Garden Podcast. Can't believe it's November already. It's time to really put our garden to bed. The frost has happened. Our gardens should all be harvested. Our produce should be dealt with or distributed. And we're on to putting our garden to bed. Um, The good news is there are still some things that we can plant and get into the ground this time of year. We can still get our bulbs in the ground. I have in the past forgotten about some bulbs, found them in even January, ran out, apologized to my bulbs severely and sincerely and putting them in icy, muddy ground, patted them in, and I'll be darned if they didn't do exactly what they were supposed to do and bloom for me in the spring. So if you have not had time to get your bulbs in the ground, it's not too late to do that. Also, garlic, don't forget about your garlic, because if you're a garlic grower, you still have plenty of time to get the garlic in, um, and it will be um, ready to harvest for you in about July. So those are some things that you can do to keep um, to keep your thumb a little bit on the green side this time of year. The other thing that you can do, if you have had any problems in your garden, if you have always wondered about the soil that you have in your garden, this is a really great time to get a soil test done. The labs have kind of slowed down a little bit through the hectic growing season, and so they have a little bit um, more time to work on your garden soil. So what I would suggest is that if you're always um, wondering what's going on, do a soil test. Don't take the soil from the top of the ground. Typically what you'll do is you'll dig a hole about a foot deep, and then you're going to scrape the sides of that hole, and then you're going to take that soil that's at the bottom that you've scraped down the sides, put it in the bag because they will have bags that you will put your soil in and take it to the lab a lab that I have used in the past and have had very good results with is Western Laboratories over in Parma. They do a wonderful full spectrum soil test that will give you not only the, you know, the NPK, they will give you the percentage of organic matter and they'll give you all kinds of micronutrients that are in the soil. And so you'll find out all the things that, um, that are right there that are going to help you grow a healthier garden next year. If you've had problems in one area of your garden, you can certainly take the sample from that. Or if you want to take a composite, you'll do different holes around your property and then use that soil, put it in a bucket, mix it all together, and that's the soil that you'll use for the test. Like I said, I've used Western Laboratories, but there's many labs that will do soil tests, so don't hesitate to get it done if you've wondered about it. If you are curious about what the uh, lab results show, they are more than willing to go over those results with you. They also give recommendations about how to correct any deficiencies that your soil might have. Uh, The other thing that we could be doing this time of year is make sure before the ground freezes that your uh, soil is moist. Your plants are going to do much better with, the, uh, with moisture in the soil around the root system than your dry plants. They'll be able to withstand any cold weather that we might have a whole lot better than that. So make sure that when you put your um, plants to bed that they're well hydrated, particularly your evergreens, because they continue to transpire moisture all winter long. And so if you don't have them hydrated, you may see some signs of scorching when the plants wake up next spring. In November, 
I really hate to start talking about Christmas, but one of the things that I'd like to mention is if you are going to be planting a live Christmas tree, not not a cut tree, but a plant a tree that you're going to plant in your yard, um, a couple things to keep in mind. This is a really great time before the soil freezes that you dig your hole and prepare to plant the tree right after Christmas. You might think it's going to be too cold to plant, but to be honest with you, the tree will be much better if you plant it in the ground than if you try to keep it in a container. So dig in the hole now, covering that soil and covering the hole with a tarp or something just to sort of protect it and try and keep that soil the mound from freezing. And as soon as you get uh, Christmas over with, you can put that tree right into that hole, plant it, water it in, and it will, you know, be fine and um, wake up for you in the spring and already be starting to establish and get ready to grow. Um, The other thing to keep in mind, you can always plant it now and decorate it outside and use it for like wildlife and, you know, use popcorn and cranberries and those kind of things on your tree. But keep in mind that you're not going to be able to bring that tree into the house for a long period of time. You know what, I've had a couple of questions come in to me. uh, And I thought that I would address those because if one person has them, I know that a lot of other people have the same question. And I had a person ask about their peonies or peonies, as some people like to call them, and why they didn't bloom. And there's a couple of reasons why they may not have bloomed for you. Probably the most common problem that you would find is that they are planted too deep. If you plant your peony crowns too deep into the ground, and I'm going to say you don't want to plant those things any deeper than two inches, the top of that crown should be no more than two inches because any deeper than that, and they're not going to bloom. The other thing to keep in mind is if they're not getting enough sun. I have trees in my neighbor's yard that have overgrown a lot of my garden, and I have several things. My poppies and my peonies are really struggling to bloom because they just don't get the necessary sun. So make sure that they are getting at least six hours of sun a day, um, minimally, for a good healthy bloom. So those are a couple of things that might be causing your peonies not to bloom. The other question that I had was about pin oaks. This person said that they had a pin oak that had iron deficiency, and every year the problem seemed to be getting worse and worse, and what could they do about that? The problem is not so much with the tree. The problem comes with the soil. Um, The pin oak is one of the red oaks, and they are very prone to iron deficiency in alkaline soil. And in our area, the soil is mostly alkaline, and pin oaks in particular have a really hard time dealing with that. What it does is it ties up a lot of the iron. It's not that the iron is not in the soil, because it certainly is, but it is chemically bound up by the pH of the soil. So what can you do about that? Well, it's a tricky situation because tree roots are so extensive, and to try to lower the pH in the soil, in the whole root system, is darn near impossible. So what I will say is if you have a specimen tree that is an important tree to you, that is a good-sized tree, that would be a real loss if you had to lose that tree, I'd suggest hiring an arborist that can come and do iron injections into the tree. It's just like any injection that you would give to a person. They inject the iron right into the tree, and it bypasses that that whole soil root interface problem that's happening. And so that's that would be the best solution. 
Otherwise, there are ways that you can lower. Sulfur lowers pH in the soil. It's not something that you can do once. It's something that you have to do um, almost every year. Sometimes it's successful. Sometimes it is not. If your tree is very young and is just beginning to experience this problem, I might suggest that you replace the tree. And I hate to say that, but it is probably the easiest in the long term, in the long term life of the tree and, and in your pocketbook, because it's expensive and time consuming to have to try and keep a tree healthy that doesn't really want to be healthy. So like I said, that would be a consideration if the tree is young. But if it's a specimen tree, I would consider, you know, like I said, getting injections done. That's the easiest way to do that. As long as we're talking about trees, let's talk a little bit about southwest injury or sun scald, which is something that we commonly see on new little trees in this area. And the reason that happens is because the leaves are off of the tree, so the bark isn't shaded. The sun is lower in the horizon, so it's, it's hitting from, you know, lower in the sky. And on a cold winter day, uh, when that trunk and all those cells are uh, cold and frozen, and you're going to get the heat from the sun. It might be reflecting off of snow. All those cells warm up and start waking up and moving around. And the expansion and contraction of those cells, freezing and thawing, freezing and thawing, causes that bark to split. And that only occurs on new little trees when the bark is young and immature. So you only need to wrap the tree during the winter for a few years until the bark starts to toughen up and mature. But a rule of thumb is we're going to wrap that tree about Halloween and we're going to take that wrap off about Easter. So during the wintertime, we're going to protect that trunk. Like I said, only for a few years. Fruit trees, cherries, um, in particular, some of the very, uh, the maples seem to have trouble with it in particular. But like I said, it's the young, immature bark that that happens to. Once it happens, there's nothing you can do about it. The tree will try to heal over that area, and you'll start seeing rolled bark, which is called callusing. And what that does is eventually will cover that wound. It doesn't heal it, but it covers it up. So trying to protect that um, is a good way to do it. There are wraps available for trees that you can buy easily, or another easy way to um, protect that trunk is something that I've done, which is with latex paint mixed 50-50 with water, and you can just paint the trunk from the ground up to about the first set of scaffold branches. And if you've ever driven by an orchard, you may have seen that commonly done because it's way easier than wrapping. It, of course, will stay on for a couple of years. It'll eventually wear off and not a problem at all, but you don't have to put it off and on, and it works just as well as the wrap. So there's that. The other thing that I'd like to um, remind you of about your trees and shrubs is little voles or little meadow mice are very um, fond of bark and roots. And so if you've got a tree that you... Um, are fond of you may and you've got the, a nice mulch ring around that tree pull back the mulch just a couple of inches from the base of that tree so that you don't give them a real nice little home and hiding place around the base of the tree you can use wire like um, a, a fine like a wire um, 
chicken wire or something like that to wrap the base of the tree, but they work very low and they can work uh, on the very top part of the root system as well. They can kill a tree in the winter if you're not careful, so keep an eye out for those. You will notice little holes, just little round holes sometimes. Um, if you're seeing big mounds, that's a sign of a gopher. Uh, mice don't leave mounds. So, and of course, their holes and everything are going to be much bigger if you see them at all. But the voles are the things I'm talking about in particular because those little guys can sneak up and be really tricky. So um, pull your mulch back a little bit if you've got that. I want to talk a little bit about insects in your vegetable garden this year and something that you might think about doing to just alleviate some of the problems that you might have last year. I know there's lots of... Um, pros and cons about tilling and not tilling your garden. Some of the new thinking is don't till at all, the no-till method where you just continue to add organic matter on the top and let all of those little microbes and everything work as they will. I think that's a great idea. But if you have had some insect problems, particularly in your root vegetables or for insects that um, overwinter in the soil, tilling your garden in the fall and bringing some of those insects closer to the surface may help winter kill some of those insects if you expose them to the elements more than leaving them in their nice, cozy little home underground. So, like I said, if you had problems this last year with a lot of those root insects in your garden, or like I said, some of the insects that might overwinter in the garden, think about tilling and just giving those insects more exposure to that really cold weather. One of the things I'd like to remind you of, you may already know this, but we have horse chestnuts around this valley. We do not have a lot of Chinese chestnuts around this valley. And what's the difference? Well, Chinese chestnuts are chestnuts roasting on an open fire. Their hull is more bristle-like, almost like a, um, like a little brush. The horse chestnuts are um, toxic, and you certainly don't want to be eating the horse chestnuts. Their hull is more spiky, not brushy, um, but the nuts look very, very similar themselves. But you will, like I said, not very commonly find the Chinese chestnuts around here, but you will find the horse chestnuts. They're a gorgeous nut. I like to collect them myself and fill up a pretty vase and use them as a fall decoration. Um, I think they're really pretty with acorns, but like I said, they're not edible, so just heads up on that. Don't eat those acorns. If you are one of those people that kept your poinsettia from last Christmas you should, and are trying to turn it red this Christmas, you should be in the process of turning. And what does that entail? It means keeping it for 10 weeks for 14 hours a day in darkness. So some people will take their poinsettias and put them in a closet some will cover them with a box, but for 14 hours a day, they need darkness to start the process of turning those. And they're not the leaves, they're actually bracts, are what the red color is. Um, but they have to have that darkness to begin that process. So once again, 10 weeks for 14 hours. So carry on, folks, if that's what you're doing. <laughs> I tried it one year, um, and I didn't get a very bright red. It was... Um, I wasn't impressed enough to do it again, let's say that. But I have had people send me pictures of poinsettias that they have kept for years and years, and they're absolutely, 
they can be absolutely gorgeous. So it's a fun thing to do. If you've not done it before, you might think about giving it a try. A lot of people are out pruning things this year to keep them off of their house or because they think fall is the time to prune trees. I'm just going to say don't prune any of your spring flowering shrubs. That's just a heads up or you're going to be pruning off all of your flower bulbs. I mean buds, sorry. This is a great time of year to check out your lawnmower. So next spring when you go out to do the first mowing, it's just ready to go. So if you have noticed this year that your grass blades might have been a little, if you looked at your grass and said it just looks a little brown on the top, it could be that your lawnmower blade isn't sharp enough. And what it does, rather than cutting that blade cleanly, it will kind of tear it and make it kind of jaggedy and it will die back a little bit. So you'll get brown tips on your grass blades. So take a look at that. Take a look at your blade. It's a great time to sharpen your blade. Drain the mower uh, so you know it does, the gas doesn't thicken through the winter. There's that product called Stable, I think is what it's called, that you can put in your gas that will help the gas you know, maintain itself through the winter. Um, it's a good time to look at spark plugs and all that stuff because who wants to go out in the spring to mow the lawn and then have to go through the whole rigmarole of taking care of your mower? So and now that we have a little bit of time, to uh, work on our machinery and sharpen our tools and clean up our tools. Now's the time to do that. Speaking of cleaning up our tools, a good tip is if you have like a five gallon bucket, fill it up with sand and then oil. And you can even use a new, um, a new can or a new bottle of motor oil. And then just slide that blade into that sand and it helps clean everything off, any rust or anything. And it oils up that blade a little bit. It's a really quick, easy way to sort of maintain the blades of your shovels and that kind of thing. Good tip to keep in mind. I say it during the summer, but I would really like to recommend that you go out and take a picture of your garden. Surprisingly, and I have no idea why it works this way, but it really does look so much different in the picture than when you stand in your backyard or in your yard and look at your garden it always looks different in a picture, and I guess because you're seeing it um, maybe with a different eye, I don't know. But you will see things in your picture that you don't normally notice. You will notice, you know, shrubs or that you wish were in a different location or plants that you don't really like, plants that you wish that you had. But take a picture of your garden. You'll never be sorry to have it. But a winter picture is a really good time to look at the bones, of your garden, which are the trees and the shrubs and the things that actually give the foundation and the substance uh, to your garden. So take a picture, you won't be sorry. If you're feeding the birds, it's really important that they have a lot of fresh water. If it freezes, I'm sorry, you're gonna have to go out and break the ice off, but they really do need fresh water. So make sure that they've got that. You can attract more birds to your yard with water than you can with food if you are one that likes to feed the birds. The other thing that's kind of interesting is we have had for probably the past, I don't know, several years, we have had a hummingbird. It's an Anna's hummingbird that shows up in our valley. They show up um, late fall usually, and they will stay through the winter. I'm going to say maybe three or four years ago, I had an Anna's hummingbird that showed up at my house. And in fact, my son-in-law said to me, I saw a hummingbird today. And I said, yeah, right. And he said it because I procrastinated and still had my hummingbird feeder up, I'm sorry to say. But he said he'd seen one, and I thought he was nuts. And then I'll be darned if I didn't see it too. 
So I called the Idaho Bird Observatory, and they came to my house and actually caught the bird and banded it. And that was a fun experience to watch that happen, to watch them, you know, catch that hummingbird. And then I can't even tell you the teensy tiny little band with a number on it that they actually put on that hummingbird's um, leg. And then they put a little dot on her head or on his head of, um, I think it was typewriter whiteout. And they put it on there because it wouldn't wash off with water. And it would identify them as a bird that had been banded. So the bird was at my house, but it also was at a, uh, it caught, got caught twice. It was also at a neighbor's about a mile away. It was caught and at that feeder as well. So they're in the valley. I've heard people talking that they've had the hummingbirds at their feeders. So I have not had a hummingbird. Um, I've not had one since that first year, but I keep my hummingbird feeder out every year in hopes that I will. I don't know if they sell them locally, but they do have heated hummingbird feeders that you can buy. So um, you can keep the hummingbird feeder uh, syrup uh, liquid. I had two hummingbird feeders the year that I did it that I traded off and on. I'd put one out and as soon as it started getting too cold, I would put the other one out and bring the other one back in to thaw out. So I would highly recommend getting a heated hummingbird feeder, which I certainly will do. I had a really interesting question, and this came from um, a school. Uh, one of the students wondered if they could plant a pine cone and get a pine tree. The thing that's pretty interesting about pine cones is the cone itself is actually a carrier for the seeds. And between each one of those little petals that you see on a pine cone, there is a seed in there. Those are the seeds that you would plant. Now, can you plant a pine cone and get a whole Christmas uh, get a whole tree to grow? Maybe. But you'll be much better off to shake out those seeds because they're just like little, um, they're almost like tiny, tiny little maple seeds almost. They're papery, and you can certainly empty those out of the pine cone when they open up right onto a piece of paper and plant all those seeds, and that would be the way to do that. I have had people ask me what they should do with their asparagus fronds this year. Typically, asparagus fronds are left through the winter. You can cut them if you want to, but if we do have snow or any, you know, any severe weather, they may help protect the crowns of the plant a bit. But the fronds or those ferns that grow in the spring basically feed the roots of the plant. Um, so we leave them as long as we can. And once they die, they die back, like I said, they can be left through the winter, they can be cut. But as soon as they show up in the spring, they should certainly be left alone to grow. Don't take the ferns off of those plants, because like I said, they're very beneficial and help feed the roots and the crown of the asparagus. Okay, there it is, your November list of chores and things to do. I am so glad that you are um, a part of this community. I love to visit with you every month and give you pointers. Um, I really like the feedback. I like the questions that I get. And um, I will be back next month. Talk to you about Christmas things. Okay. Thanks for listening. Have a really great month. Bye. Bye.